This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Nicole Gerard on the line. Hey, Nicole, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing? I am great. Funny story, people. Nicole and I have been at several events and we've never met each other. <laughs> we're like, we find out, we'll, we'll see an Instagram post. And we're like, wait, That's you were good. there? I yeah. was there. So it, it, and this has been going on for a couple of years now. So it's, yeah. it, it's almost now a game. It's like, okay, not, let's not try to hide from each other, but we just, <laughs> you know, eventually what'll happen is we'll turn around. We'll each have coffee or something. We'll look at each other and go, whoa, hey, a, a divide by zero moment. Oh, right? what happened? So and it's funny because we've had virtual coffee chats, but mm-hmm. you're right. It's like the ship's passing. It's like those comedy movies you see where you, you're there and you don't see each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, glad to have you here. So uh, you do a ton of awesome things, but one of the things that jumped out at me that uh, is relatively recent is, mm-hmm. is the gist method. So mm-hmm. tell, tell us about that and what, you know, how it came about and, and, sure. and the stuff that you're doing. Sure. So I, prior to the GIST method and still sort of on the side, um, I do have my own consulting agency where it's more focused on the operational side of things, which is where most people struggle. Um, and my business partner and I were actually both working with a mutual client that did some excellent work in leadership training. And it's funny because he and I have also, and for a good 15 years, worked at the same company a long time ago, keep bumping into each other during consultancy work with clients, like in and out. And finally, um, about three and a half years ago, we ended up working together. And through the process of working together, we took a look at a lot of the great work that people do in terms of leadership training and mindset training and sort of the resilience that's required in order to do really great and effective work. And the piece that we saw that was missing was that functional piece, the, okay, I get the theory. This has been a wonderful, you know, sort of mind bending workshop on why I need to do things. But a lot of people at the end of those kind of look at each other and go, okay, I have all the information. Now what do I do? Like help. And so that's sort of where the idea of the gist method was born out of. And for those listening that don't understand what the GIST method is, it stands for get your shit together because my business partner and I, his name is Kirby James. um, He and I spent a lot of time coaching senior executives, CEOs, and high level performers one-on-one and get your shit together has sort of been this loving uh, grab you by the shoulders and shake you a bit when you're going down the wrong path. And the people that love you and care about you look at you and go, oh my God, you're so amazing, but you're self-sabotaging. Get your shit together because you can do this. Um, And it's funny, the reaction we get out of a lot of people when we say what our new uh, sort of service offering and workshops and training is about, they go, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, what do we do? Which has been really encouraging. Um, But again, it, it can sound kind of harsh when someone says, get your shit together. But you have to remember it often comes from a really loving place. And it's a place where people around you can see the opportunity that you're missing and you're doing this dumb stuff. You know, you're kind of sidelining and you're self-sabotaging and you're editing yourself and you're holding back. And there's a lot of fear there and you need someone 
oftentimes just to give you that little push. Um, so that's really what sort of the underlying birth of this new product and service came from. And uh, it's doing really well so far. It's kind of gets people's attention, which was the point. Um, but we really passionately believe that there are, there are people, there are some senior leaders and CEOs and organizations that are on the brink of changing their culture for the better, for making that bottom line more positive, for affecting their community in really great ways. They just need that push because they're a little bit stuck. And that's okay. We come in and unstuck you. <laughs> well, you know, a couple things, you know, first I go, okay, where were you guys a decade ago when I was going through my burnout and <laughs> as an executive and doing all the things and, right? and in the culture thing, we'll get to that in a second. Cause that's sure. huge right now as well. Yeah. But I, 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 I find it and with a lot of executives and I agree they are, right there. They're so close to be able yeah. to take their organization from using a Jim Collins phrase, good to great. And, yes. Yes. and sometimes they get in their own way because a variety of different things. One, they could be you know, working too hard and not working smart. Um, they're burning out because what got them there won't get them where they need to go. And it's, 100%. Uh, and when they do that, they sometimes forget, okay, I need to delegate this off, or I need to bring in somebody that has expertise in this area. It's not a forever and ever type of thing in many cases, it's just right. like at this particular moment for us to get this organization to this level or launch this product, what do we need that we don't have and have that honest conversation. And the fact that you guys do it in a way with, like you said, with love and compassion, because I think that's Ultimately, when people are burning out, everyone around them knows it's happening except them because they're so focused and they can't feel or taste or do anything that it, it helps them. Okay, let's, let's get this taken care of. Now, here are the things that you're doing to self-sabotage. Let's take that a couple steps back. And when you do that, all of a sudden, that thing that I like to call clarity starts to show up again. Yeah. And then they start seeing things that were there, opportunities they could jump on, but because yeah. they were so self-absorbed and stuck, <laughs> yep. now they can see it and they take it and then the organization makes that next step and that next step. And, exactly. And with the looming recession that we keep hearing about. So um, glad you said that. Um, I, I, I encourage organizations right now to take the opportunity to do the things that they need to do to prepare themselves for that. Not in a fear mongering or doom and gloom yes. where the sky's falling kind of thing, but this is a great time to take stock and go, okay, who are we? You know, what's yep. our organization? What do we do? Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you said that. We, um, we did a, so we also have a, a YouTube channel, a show called the Just Method Show. And one of the episodes that we did in, I want to say it was in, at the end of July, was exactly about what you just said. So yes, all of the economists, like everyone's super positive because we want to keep the economy going. I get it. But you are seeing this sort of um, contraction right, of larger organizations, some of the big multinationals that are already starting to make changes. And that's cool. I mean, if that's the right decision for that business and those people at that time, great. 
But what seems to happen, and I've seen in my career over the last 20 some years, is that the mid to small size organizations start to panic. And they go, oh my God, if GM is laying off divisions, if you know some of the big banking institutions are starting to get tighter, if a lot of these larger companies are making these decisions, maybe they know something we don't, and then they start making really rash decisions and they're not actually looking at what they need to do. So promo my YouTube channel, if you don't mind. So if you go to YouTube and look up the Gist Method show, you will find that episode. But there's so many things that you just actually pulled on that I'm really glad that you mentioned. One of them is the honest conversations that you want to be having especially at the senior leadership level, at the board level, the C-suite level, what we seem to be lacking today is the ability to take a step back from our ego, from that fear we have of looking good and making all the right decisions every single time, don't make a mistake, always be the hardest working one, which busy and, and hardworking are two different things. Um, it's just taking that step back and having an honest conversation and saying, okay, Here's where we are right now. Where are we trying to go? What's our purpose? Because I can't tell you how many organizations come to us, the calls we have, and they say, oh my God, we're, we're trying to launch this initiative. We're trying to reach this goal. And one of the questions we ask is, why do you exist? Like, what's the purpose? What's the, the, the beacon, the North Star? And how is this taking you there? And a lot of times we're met with some awkward silence. And immediately, that's one of the gist moments that we like to say. And we go, okay, well, you say you want to go here. This is your purpose. This is why you do what you do, who you're trying to help and serve. But this panicked project you have going on over here isn't getting you any closer. So our question is, why are you doing it? What's the point? What's the purpose? Um, and so a lot of organizations get tied up in these circles that far enough down the line, you start to look at the economy and the market that you're in and things are starting to get to that tipping point. What can you do now to course correct? What can you do right now? What are the conversations you can have, the processes you can tighten up, the people that you need to prepare for the future? Because it's not just about getting through a recession or a market turn, it's about staying and sustainability. And for me personally, I'm super passionate about that because businesses have the biggest impact on your community. And if the leaders of those businesses aren't resilient enough to make those good decisions and to course correct and steer the organization in a good positive way, the ripple effect of layoffs and cutbacks and the gig economy, it affects communities at large. And I, fervently believe that organizations are one of the keys to a positive, happy community. And then of course, we're going to go global because it's not just about who you're working with in Toronto. It's who you're working with everywhere. No, it's crucial. And I've seen it, you know, my, my dad worked for like, we call them generous motors and we've mentioned GM before. <laughs> and I, you know, I've seen, you know, communities, um, yeah. really suffer because and we'll go let's let's talk about small business with the gm sure so you so you've got a small business an office let's say it's an office of 20 people or something mm -hmm. it's a you know startup they're doing well and all of a sudden the economy kind of falters and then for some reason they lose 
their top two clients and then you know they, the owners go you know we can't withstand this yeah we're gonna have to shut it down so now all of a sudden yeah. you've got 20 people that are now out of work now those 20 people you know along that strip mall or wherever they're working office suites you know there was the coffee shop there was the lunch place the exactly. dry cleaner and all of that stuff that got a lot of business from those people all of a sudden there's three or four other businesses that are going to suffer or maybe close. And then it just flows. And all of a sudden you have an entire, you know, office suite or strip mall that is now 75% vacant because of, you know, one business. Exactly. And, and it's a case of making sure that you are moving in a direction that makes sense. Um, Make sure that you're, your passion or your mission or your organization is in here and in your heart. Uh, you know, for those listening, I pointed to my head. So I'm, we're doing this video too. So it's like, sometimes I forget radio, Michael, um, from my head to my heart, <laughs> yeah. make sure that your mission and your passion is in there and not on a poster. In exactly. your order. Does it, doesn't mean it, you can't have that poster there because if you have guests, people can look at it, but make sure people know and I've worked for a lot of organizations and we've brought in consultants and there's been three or four of them that after they did their work, they came in, they gave the report and they said, yeah, when we asked about, you know, what do this you know, company does, we've discovered there's four companies here because yeah. there's misalignment in what people think this place does. And it's, I go back to that question that a, a board member in an organization I worked at years ago said, because the, the board had shiny object disease oh, and they wanted yes. to do all, all kinds all of things, things. <laughs> save the world. And yeah. it's like, uh, no, save ourselves first. And, yes. uh, but you know, he would ask, who are we? What mm-hmm. do we do? Okay. Yeah. That's what we do. Anything that comes in, does it fit somewhere in that pie? If it doesn't put it over there. And yeah. doesn't mean we're going to get rid of it, but just put it over there and we can glance at it and say, hey, that might work. Or let's see if there's another organization that we partner with that works in that space that can be a nice add-on to what we do, but not take our direction away from it. Because uh, otherwise, you spread yourself too thin and you're doing all these other things. And exactly. when, you, when you try to do too many things, you're not going to do anything well. Yeah. And I think that's actually where our sort of raison d'etre, our reason for being, and yours really align nicely. Because we've, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but over the years and, and all the work that we've done and the people that we've worked with, we've sort of distilled down sort of the top reasons why the top senior leaders burn out. And what a lot of people fail to recognize is that if the top of the company, the decision makers and the visionaries of the organization are burnt out, that's going to permeate. It's going to spread and the culture is going to dive and all these other things everyone talks about. But one of the reasons that, and you started talking about this a lot recently, which I really appreciate its boundaries. But part of that also, what I would like to add to that is the resilience around making good decisions. And I love the example that you just gave. Um, It's something that we've talked about as well. And that's the fact that just because you're presented with an opportunity doesn't mean it's the right one for your organization. Doesn't mean it's the right one for your organization right now. 
and it doesn't mean it's the right one moving forward. And I love the parking lot example that you gave because I've run into a number of clients myself this year where you can't tell what they're doing because they have seven different divisions and all these different industries. They're trying to capture everything everywhere and they're not focused, which tells me that they have no idea what their purpose is because you cannot tell me that your purpose is one thing and have your business built around it. And then your purpose is to do this over here too. And this over here too. And this over here too. And again, I'm very dramatic with my hands. So for those that can't see us, that's okay. <laughs> very illustrative, but without the ability to make good quality decisions and be resilient in the face of opportunities, because everyone talks about resilience in the face of uh, adversity and hardship and stress, etc. But I also believe there's that piece that senior leaders, board members, C-suite, senior leader um, and managers need is to develop the ability to make good decisions and have resilience in the face of opportunity so that you aren't splitting your focus, which then leads to overworking, you're making really poor decisions because you're stressed, then you start to burn out, <clears throat> excuse me. It's sort of this knock-on effect. So the ability to do that, I think, is so crucial because again, the decisions you're making now impact where you go in the future and then it impacts everything around you and in ways that you may often not have seen the connection to. You see the unseen, right? So I think that's super important as well. I love, and I'm seeing this more, and thank you about the boundaries thing. I, I think that's yeah. a huge, huge component of it. Absolutely. Uh, but I'm thrilled you mentioned resilience because that is going to play a huge part as how organizations navigate any type of economic downturn or adjustment, yeah. however you want to look at it. Absolutely. And in the example you gave about, you know, these organizations doing seven different things or even more than that. And I look at the, the, the situation where, okay, you've got all of these things going on and when things take a downturn and anybody that paid half attention in econ class mm -hmm. recognized that markets go up and they also go down. It just, that's how, how it works. Yeah. If you've got an organization that's doing seven to 10 different things, those are seven or 10 different holes in the boat that you're going to have to plug once things start sinking. Yep. If you're doing two or three things really well, yeah. then that's a lot less running around plugging holes yeah. and you can also, you know, using the parking lot analogy, it's like, okay, maybe this one division, we're going to put things on hold. We're going to slow down. We're just going to go in maintenance mode on this and we're not going to create any new initiatives right now. We'll keep a list of things that we want to do, but it's foolish for us to roll those out because the demand is not there because organizations are adjusting. Where is the demand? And, and, and get really laser focused. And when you're moving in a direction and you're only doing a few things, it's a lot easier for you to pivot and you don't have to completely reinvent the wheel because otherwise you're just running around going, okay, everything's failing. And then, yes. you, then, then you start <laughs> running into that situation similar to that, you know, that 20 person shop that closes down that, you know, shuts down our favorite coffee shop or anything yeah. else. And it's, and I always tell people you know, when they're, when they got too much going on, it's like, okay, we need to simplify things. I, I, I this goes back to, cause I've got lean training, you know, so I'm a big fan yeah, of, same. of that, 
you know, that yeah. method. Yeah. Although a funny story about that in a second with a nurse in a hospital in a lean, uh -oh. but um, it wasn't me. It was a, a facilitator that was talking about me. it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't me. No, no I, I, I know better. Do not mess with nurses. They have needles and listen. Liquid. Yeah. <laughs> Two decades in healthcare. I get it. Yeah. No, I was you know, a decade and a half. So we, 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 we both survived that somehow. I think. There you go. Uh, well, uh, good, good thing we've got access to mental health. Uh, but um, you know, with, with lean, it, it's just, you know, it's, where does it make sense to have these things? What makes sense for the organization to do things and, yeah. and go from there? But real quick story on the lean side of things. Um, it was a facilitator that I had brought into an organization to help the board and the team kind of get in mm -hmm. alignment with some things because they weren't. Um, but long story short, his wife um, is a nurse mm -hmm. at one of the downtown Toronto hospitals and they brought in a lean expert to come in and make uh, the, ho you know, the hospital quote unquote more efficient which I get. And, but mm. the thing of it is his wife was a nurse in this particular ward in the hospital for 22 years at this particular point. Oh my. So her motor memory and muscles and activity were pretty much optimum. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the lean people came in and said, okay, this card actually would be better over here because it's less steps and this and this and this. But the thing of it is, when she demonstrated to them, okay, let's do it this way, and now let me show you how I do it. It was quicker for her the way that she did it. Sure. Um, and but basically, you know, after the fourth day of the cart being in the the place where they felt it should be, she she basically told everybody with an earshot, if somebody moves my cart one more time, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> now, of course, that is a you know. Bill 168, Bill 132 violation in Ontario sure. now, but um, it's like, ooh, harassment training. Yeah, we got to get that in. Um, but She's frustrated. I get it. Exactly. But it was one of those things where an understanding of how the organization works and the pieces involved mm -hmm. is something that you know, organizations like yours and mine, we, we look at it a little bit deeper and go, okay, yeah, paper says this. Yes. But let's, if we apply maybe a little bit of hybrid of that, it may actually be a better fit. Um, yeah. So no, that's, that's my lean story when I talk. No, and I think that's great. And every time I talk about lean, I always have those, um, that visual in my head of the flip charts with spaghetti diagrams. <laughs> I don't know why, but you're absolutely right. And another piece that I find that people miss, and I understand why, and this also frustrated me when I was, you know, director of operations and was doing a lot with large organizations as well, is decision makers and those with the best of intentions oftentimes forget or think it will take too long to speak to the people about the process that they're trying to change and who it's going to impact. Like who's actually living that process day to day? Because you're right. SOP says this, process map says this, but in real life, there's about 23 Band-Aid solutions, eight workarounds because it wasn't designed the way it was like should have been designed. And you unintentionally introduce all of this complexity, time, frustration, because people don't take the time to actually look at what's happening in real life and then go, okay, well, here's what's happening in real life. You know what, I've, here's one good example for you. Earlier in the year, I had a client that we were trying to do some process improvement with. 
And one of the very first things that came out of our initial um, discovery interview was that nobody in the customer service department, the people that actually spoke to clients, were consulted on a process they were trying to roll out. They wanted to do a new um, CRM rollout. Not a person was consulted, not one. And so they spent all this time and money, energy and effort to roll out this shiny new CRM. And when it was implemented, they could not serve clients because they couldn't get data in because they didn't understand how the front line worked. So much money and effort. So then again, we get the call and say, oh my God, we're in crisis. We promised our external clients this, but we can't, the system's broken. We can't get it to work. And I said, well, you could have fixed it four months ago if you just asked these four questions of the people that are actually using it. And that's just a small example, right? And we see this happen all the time, all the time. And your nurse example was a great one. She's been there for 22 years. She gets that I think the, the immediate credibility to have input into what's happening in her environment, right? Because we all get caught up with our designations and our letters and our titles and our education, but the people that have been doing it day to day to day should be the first ones to give you input because you're going to get a better product that way, better service, better process. Yeah. I, I always go to the front line first yeah. and say, okay, here's something that we're doing and what do you think? And, you know, a couple examples on and how oftentimes these things happen and they don't consult the people it's actually going to be doing it. Yeah. You, know, you saw this in healthcare, you know, anytime there was any type of new rollout or government initiative, whether mm -hmm. it was with the CCACs, the LENs, or an, who, name, name whoever, yeah. you know, here, here's how we're going to change healthcare. And they didn't have any healthcare providers at the table. Yep. And you're going, uh, this is not going to work. And yeah. unless we get physicians and clinicians and frontline people at this table to Yep. do this. We're just spending a whole lot of time and letterhead and paper on things. Yeah. And, well, and then people wonder why their culture goes in the toilet mm -hmm. because the people that are living their day to day are being told, here's what's best for you. Yep. That's, that doesn't feel like a collaborative, innovative, welcoming, positive culture to me. Exactly. Right? And an organization I'm helping out, um, they're replacing a CRM system that mm. they've been using for over two decades. Right. And there was a lot of apprehension about switching to something new. So they did the demo, they went through it, you know, of course, you know, with, you know, demos, you know, they make it look really good. They asked Perfect. a lot of questions, <laughs> but I, I had a, a follow-up session with a, a remote session where um, the people that are actually going to use the CRM the most as far mm -hmm. as entering information about uh, the clients, payments, the accounting side of things and all that. I had a separate meeting for them where they basically were able to remote control uh, the presenter's computer mm -hmm. and, and drive the bus and Good. get and do it. It's like I grab, you know, a yeah. handful of these people go through, set up, an account. Okay. Now set up a payment. Now set mm -hmm. all, and I said, think of everything that you do in this system that we have right now and do it here. And at the yeah. end of it, they go, this system is actually easier than what we're doing because it saves a couple steps. We're happy with it. Perfect. I'm like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And so they've got actually, and it's like they, so they made the decision. And I say, if you said you don't like it, 
okay, then we're not going to do it. But they yeah. did it. So what that did is it saved that example that you gave of, okay, this doesn't work. We can't enter payments. This, that, well, you know how to do it because you just did it. You went yeah. through an entire cycle of what you do on a daily basis and a demo. Um, and any software company, and I've worked for them before too, mm-hmm. um, is that if you can create an, a scenario where your potential customers can do that and yeah. physically get their hands on something to do their entire cycle, mm-hmm. you're going to have more sales. You're going to have a better product because they're going to tell you what needs to be done. It, oh, it's a better it, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what you just described is what I lovingly call a break it session. So anytime there's UAT or user acceptance testing, for software, I have a break it session, which is the people that are going to be using it day to day. We're going to log in, do what you just said. And I want you to try and break it. Tell me where it's broken. Tell me where the problems are. Like the idea is to figure out. And as they're doing that, they give really helpful feedback. They are involved. They're genuinely helping. I mean, they're helping produce um, the environment where you can make a good decision because there have been many times where the beautiful demo and the salesperson is there and everything looks wonderful. There's been a number of times where these large enterprise level systems are going to be implemented, but the end user said, this doesn't do what they say it does, how we need it, how we were told and saved organizations, hundreds of thousands. And in some instances, millions of dollars because they just stopped for a moment, resisted the urge to push, push, push deadline, deadline, test it, and go, oh, we thought it did this, we misunderstood, it doesn't, we need something else. That's the other thing too that we find a lot is that people make decisions very quickly, which is good, but it's not always a good quality decision, right? So part of making good decisions, and I I love the software example or the CRM example, because unless you know what you need, you don't know what you're looking for. And a lot of time organizations, and I'm very passionate about, and I've spoken about this in my private consulting, leveraging tech and making your life easier, making your team's life easier. I'm not trying to say use tech to replace people. I'm saying tech is there to support people, make their life easier, make their job easier. But if you don't know what you're looking for, if you don't know your purpose, you don't know your process, you don't know how to best serve clients, how everything moves through, how do you know which system they're looking for? There are thousands on the market. Which one do you pick? Right? So clarity and understanding what you actually need so that you can get rid of all the stuff you don't, like there's a short list really quickly, then you can make really good quality decisions. Again, it's that resilience in the face of opportunity. There's too much. What do I do? And that leads to overwhelm and oh my God. Right? So that's part of it too. Yeah, no, I think the theme of our conversation today is definitely resilience and, <laughs> and you know, with a, a late entry of the, the quality decisions. Yeah. Doesn't, mean, doesn't mean that those decisions are going to be the right ones, but I think sure. if you've got the clarity and you're doing things the right way, mm-hmm. your success ratio is going to be a lot better than, than it would be if you're just you know, making quick decisions totally without agree. taking any taking anything into consideration. Yeah. So Nicole, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome work that you're doing? They can visit us at gistmethod.ca. So G-Y-S-T method.ca. I am also on Instagram. I am on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. Just look for Nicole Gerard and uh, reach out absolutely to myself or my business partner, Kirby James. Grab one of us. We'll be here. But uh, 
happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Well, we could probably talk for about days and days yeah. and days about this stuff. So yeah, we'll definitely. <laughs> the whole series. <laughs> exactly. Here's this. Next up on this. Next time on this. So cool. Right. Great to chat with you today. Really appreciate you and all the great stuff you're doing. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.